trusting in Jesus. When it comes time to really trust him for something, have you noticed that it looks like you're going to die if you trust in Jesus? If you do what he wants you to do, it looks like certain death. Like you're gonna lose everything. And it looks like a better way to go is to try to save your life and to conserve what you have and make it last longer. Now, am I the only one who thinks like this? Don't have to raise your hand. But that's the temptation. If I do this, if I obey Jesus, I'm gonna die. So make it last until when? Until you die. Now, Katie's been listening to a song and somewhere in there, the guy just sings. You're gonna die, we're gonna die. And it makes it silly. It's really kind of a funny tune, but when you think about it, he's right. <laughs> we're gonna die. It's good that we can laugh about this, but this is where we're headed. Do you ever think about that? What we're looking at today is that King Saul is running out of options to save his life. He has to face death. And what we really need is to be freed from the fear of death. So let's look at what it says here. We have a little bit of preamble to the chapter. It says, now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said to David, you assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So David said to Achish, surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. Now, the Philistines are gearing up for a major war with Israel. They're going to have it out once and for all. Israel or the Philistines, but not both. This is major. And you know that David has been staying with Achish, king of Gath, one of the Philistine kings. Because he can't stay in Israel, Saul keeps looking for him. He says, okay, I'm going to remove myself completely from that whole conflict. I'll just get out of the country. I'll work for one of the Philistines and continue to do what a king of Israel should do. Make life better for Israel. He's been making war on all the enemies of Israel that should have been taken out when they came into the country 400 years ago. So now it's coming to kind of a crunch point. And the Philistines are going to fight against Israel. And Achish comes to David and says, you know you have to come with me 
Now, is he looking for a flinch? Kind of a, like he doesn't want to fight against Israel? Like he's not a double agent? So he's sort of saying, you have to do this. And then David answers back. You, surely you know what your servant can do. Now that's a little ambiguous. He doesn't say, yeah, let's go kick the Israelis. Let's go get rid of them. He just says, you're going to find out what your servant can do. Hmm, what can he do? Well, that's not in this chapter, so we're going to move on. But Achish is pretty enthused. Yeah, I'm going to make you my bodyguard for life. So we'll have to just leave that there. Then we go on in verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah, in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and spiritists out of the land. Now this is setting us up for what's going to happen in this chapter. The author repeats what we already know. Samuel is dead. And that happened back in chapter 25. Now you know when somebody's dead, they're usually done in history. There's not a lot happening after you're dead, except in the Bible. So the normal course of things is you die and you're done. And then the author adds that Saul had put the mediums and spiritists out of the land. Another name for these people are necromancers. People who channel the spirits of dead people in order to gain power and knowledge. Now you know that practice continues today. There are people who specialize in channeling spirits so that people can ask them about the future and for wisdom and guidance. And it's gross. I've actually seen some on television. They, uh, two particular people seem channel spirits live. You're thinking, are they faking it? But then they say some of the most horrific, gross things. Unclean. And that's the point about these things. God's law forbids seeking power and knowledge from anything or anybody but him. Leviticus 20, verse 6. As for the person who turns to mediums and to spiritists to play the harlot after them, I will also set my face against that person and will cut him off from among his people. Now, seeking the dead for power, for knowledge. What's going to happen in the future? God calls that spiritual prostitution. Being unfaithful to the Lord. And just as in physical prostitution, it is unclean. It's defiling. 
Because the dead are dead. They're not God. They're not holy. They're not eternal. And so God says, do not defile yourselves. And it kind of begs the question, if you want to know the future, if you need spiritual power or supernatural help, why not go to God, right? Why wouldn't God's people go to God and say, I need help? Why would God have to say, don't go to these people? It's because when you're seeking the Lord, you also want to seek his will. You can't pray for things that God is not going to grant. Right? So what that means is somebody who's seeking some other kind of spiritual power and knowledge is asking for something that God wouldn't give for whatever reason. Like it's defiling. Like he doesn't want you to be messed up. Daddy, can I play with razor blades? No, sweetheart, daddy doesn't want you playing with razor blades. Well, I'm going to go find some on my own. Don't do that. So, God forbids seeking the dead because that is rebellious. That's disobedient, and it's not what God wants. It's, it's finding a way to run around God's authority and God's will. It's saying, I want what I want. And he says it's the same attitude as worshiping and serving the devil. So he says, no, I don't want you playing with razor blades. Verse 4, then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. So here are the Philistines making a move a major advance into the territory of Israel. And they're in the northern part of Israel. Shunem is down on a valley plain. And that gives them plenty of room to stretch out and it gives them the advantage with their chariots. Chariots are like tanks. Back in this time, a tremendous advantage but not like a tank which is kind of slow to move and runs you over and that kind of thing. It's the lightness of it and the mobility and the speed. And, you know, you've seen like Ben-Hur and they put the knives in their wheels and they just drive through and chop you up. So there's all the Philistines out on this plain moving into Israeli territory and basically daring them 
come and get me. But Israel is encamped on Gilboa, and that is one of the mountains of a ridge of mountains in front of this valley, and it's a defensive posture. They're not gonna drive their chariots up the hill to attack. That's where the chariots lose their superiority. And so it's a defensive posture for Israel. And Saul is looking at this Philistine camp laid out in front of him, and he's terrified. He's looking at them and he's going, they got more than we do. They got chariots. We're outnumbered, we're outgunned, and he's terrified. He's saying, if we do anything, we're dead. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1, here's what it says. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord you God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt, is with you. But see, Saul isn't with God. And he's terrified because he's not even thinking about God. He's only thinking about himself and he's looking at that and he's saying, I can't do this. I need help. And he's so afraid that he actually inquires of the Lord. Now, we don't see that he has ever done this as long as he's been king to seek the Lord. And you know, at, at a point, God fired him and said, you haven't obeyed me. So the kingdom is torn out of your grasp and given to your neighbor. But Saul didn't get off the throne. He's been fired for years. But he's holding on to it. And you know, no bolt from heaven. <laughs> You're dead. I told you, you were fired. Nothing's happening. So, nothing's going to happen. You can think that. But now, when he's looking at that, he says, I gotta seek God, God's gotta help me. And he's going by three different means. You notice here, dreams, God could speak to me in a dream, I'm gonna go to sleep, you talk to me. Or the Urim, that's a way to contact God through the priest, who's got a certain breastplate in which are two stones called the Urim and the Thummim, lights and perfections. And it's a way of communicating with the Lord and he can give an answer. It's kind of like, kind of like, we're not sure exactly, but God, will you help me? Yes. Will you help me this way? No, no, yes, okay, good. We'll go that way. That's a way to inquire through the priest. But then there's the prophets. 
Pray to the Lord. Get a word from the Lord. What do I do? And crickets. The Urim isn't giving an answer. Prophets, no answer. No dreams, nothing. Silence. And you might think, well, Saul's seeking the Lord. Why wouldn't the Lord want to show up? Because you think, well, you know, I get desperate too. I need help. Does this mean that God is not going to show up when I need help? But see, this is different. Saul disobeyed God way back in chapter 15. And he's been disobeying God ever since. And Saul has been ignoring God twice as he has been seeking David to kill him because he thinks, ah, this is the one that's going to take my kingdom from me. David shows him mercy from the Lord and he knows it's mercy from the Lord, but he still doesn't get off the throne. Twice he's received such mercy and respect and love, but it hasn't changed his mind. So he's basically ignored God his whole life. And now God is ignoring him. Now that's terrifying, isn't it? Saul is so desperate for a way out of his trouble that he actually looks for a medium. Verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, in fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes and he went and two other men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. The woman said to him, look, you know what Saul has done, how he's cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now that's pretty wild. God says, don't do this. And Saul himself obeyed the law of God at a certain point and put all of these people out of the land. And you know, you better not do this because Saul is going to get you. 
But now he disobeys God and he contradicts himself. And he says, go find me a medium, a necromancer, a witch. And I think it's crazy that his servants go, oh yeah, we know one over in Endor. It's like, what? How do you know that? But I wasn't there, so we'll never find out. But they know where to find a medium. That's crazy. Now Saul disguises himself. One, he doesn't want to get caught as the king talking to a medium. But the second reason is to get to Endor, he's got to go around the Philistine camp itself because Endor is north and east of Gilboa, where he is. So he actually has to go close and around the Philistine camp to get to this medium. So he's risking so many things to make this trip. When he talks to the medium, she's like, what are you talking about? You trying to get me killed? It's illegal. And so he swears to her that she won't get punished by the Lord. Now, does that make sense? You won't be punished for seeking the dead in a demonic way, I swear by the Lord. This, is, this whole thing is crazy. And he says, bring up Samuel. So she does her ritual, her seance, her magic, whatever it is, and then she screams. Can you imagine that? What kind of a movie this would be like? It's one of those jump scares, you know. Now, was she expecting this to happen? Who knows? This is not the usual thing. And Saul, who's terrified of everything, says, don't be afraid. What do you see? It's like, does this make sense? How is he keeping his head when he's terrified to death? But maybe this is like, I'm going to get what I need. Don't be afraid. Just keep going. Now, she knows it's Saul. Already, there's power at work and knowledge. She's scared to death because... You're Saul. And then Saul knows it's Samuel. So this is, this is already weird, okay? But let's get weirder. Verse 15. Now Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called you that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, so why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. 
For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. So he calls up Samuel. And Samuel basically tells him the bad news. This is not the good news. This is the bad news. And Samuel says, why have you disturbed me? Why have you disturbed the natural course of things and twisted reality and I'm here? What are you doing? And he says, I'm really in trouble. And God isn't talking to me and I need to know what to do. You tell me what to do. Because remember, not one word that Samuel says ever falls to the ground. Everything he says happens. So he's thinking, yeah, 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 if I get Samuel, he'll tell me what to do, and it'll work. But Samuel blows that up. Why are you asking me? This is Romans 8.28 backwards. Romans 8.28 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? But the reverse is, if God is against you, who can be for you? And Samuel goes, not me, man. I can't help you. And in fact, he says, God is doing what he said through me that he would do. The very words that he spoke to Saul in chapter 15, God has torn the kingdom from your hand and has given it to your neighbor. And this time he supplies the name, David. It is David. You suspected it was David? It is. And the reason is because you disobeyed him about Amalek. And God said, that's enough. I am tearing the kingdom from your hands. Now, you think, Disobedience, is it really that bad? If I don't do what God says, why is that a big deal? Look how many people it affects. Just one man's disobedience. He says, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. You're not gonna be the only one defeated. All of Israel will be. Your disobedience affects the entire nation. Tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. It affects his family. And it affects the army of Israel. All those guys, all the guys that get killed, that's what happens in a defeat. All those guys are gonna get killed because of your disobedience. 
So that's huge. Your disobedience doesn't just affect you, it affects your family, it affects everybody you work with, it affects the entire nation. And he says, you cannot escape this. Tomorrow, he says, you're gonna be with me. Now people ask, is this really Samuel? Is this a trick? If this is really necromancy, why is God allowing it? They have a real big problem about this. But again, if you listen to what Samuel is saying, he's not deviating one bit from what he said back in chapter 15. And he prophesies that what will happen the next day, and it does happen. Now, real prophecy has to come to pass or it's not real. And I don't think any dead spirit or deceiving demon would say anything real or true. But everything Samuel says here happens. Which means the woman screamed because this is not the normal order of things. This is not necromancy. Saul is trying to find a way around God to avoid God, elude God, escape from God, but this universe is God's. And there is no escape from God. Even in a seance, God is there. So, look what happens in verse 20. Immediately, Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice and I've put my life in my hands and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now therefore, please, heed also the voice of your maidservant and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it. And she took flour and kneaded it, baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. So... This is a funny, strange detail to spend this much time on. Saul hears all these words and whatever he thought or hoped for would happen is just gone, snapped. He's full length on the floor literally on the floor for fear. There is no hope 
left. And because he didn't eat. And this is what the writer focuses on, is that he wasn't eating. And they convince him, and finally he does eat. And the question is, why wasn't he eating? Now, I actually looked it up in a bunch of commentaries that I have, and some people feel like, well, he was so upset, he couldn't eat, but that's not what it says. He says, I will not eat, which means it was a decision. And when you purposefully don't eat, that's called fasting. And that goes along with prayer. And that's when you're seeking God. Now, when you fast, it's something you do to humble yourself before God. And you're praying for God's mercy and grace. That's why you do it. But some people have the idea that fasting is some kind of a lever that will give you kind of a handle on God. Like if I fast enough, then God's gonna hear me. And if I put the fulcrum here and the stick out here and I push down hard enough on it, I can move this big rock. And if I fast, it gives me a handle on God to get the thing that I want. And that's what Saul is doing. It's sort of a last ditch religious thing of I gotta make God do what I want. Because see, he's not seeking God for God's will. He already knows God's will. You're fired. But he wouldn't accept that. So now he's trying to do what he can to move God anyway. Now, he wants God to do what he wants. Save the kingdom, save me, defeat the Philistines, God. But you know what? God isn't moved by fasting. And prayer is funny like this. Have you noticed? When you put 50p in of prayer, you don't get 50p of answer back. It's not a one-to-one, -one. if I do this, kajung, I get the right answer. Does anybody find that funny or weird? Does that discourage you about praying? It discourages me. That's why I'm so glad for this new believers class, because it makes you memorize the scripture that says, until now, you have asked for nothing in my name, ask. and it will be given to you, and your joy will be made full. So that really puts you up to it. God is saying, Jesus is saying, you ask in my name, ask. Okay, and then what? God's gonna do something. What is he gonna do? I don't know, but that's up to God, because 
you're seeking the will of God. And, you know, we don't control God. I can't get God to line up my ducks the way I want them to be lined up and then weld them so they'd never move. Because that's what I would pray for. I want a life full of rose petals in my path and the seven angels dancing around my head. I don't want anything to happen. I don't want anybody to scrape my bumper because that irritates me. And I want broadband that always works every time I need it. If I get those two things, triumph. But you know, God doesn't have to roll over and play dead because I say, let's do it. He does not get in line with me. I have to get in line with him. That's the way this universe works. So, I'm fasting, says Saul, and God says, I'm not moved. I have made my decision, and I made it a long time ago, and I'm not changing my mind, and your attempts to manipulate me are not going to be successful. Now, I find this ironic that although Saul rebels against God, disobeys him, does the exact thing that God says do not do, Saul must still serve God. Because God is sovereign. And everything he has made must serve him. Do you know that even the devil must serve the purposes of God? God is sovereign. And Saul serves God's purpose right now. And that is for us. This is an example of what not to do. Now what Jesus taught his disciples in Mark chapter eight, he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, Saul was afraid to lose his life. And if you read about him and the points in his life, he was afraid. You remember he was supposed to wait seven days for Samuel to come. And it was the seventh day and Samuel didn't come. So Saul offered the sacrifice. And then 
Samuel showed up and said, what are you doing? He goes, well, I was afraid. You, you didn't come, and the Philistines are out there, and I was afraid. And so Samuel says, you've done foolishly. Your kingdom is not gonna endure. The next time, he was sent out to wipe out the Amalekites. He comes back with stuff he shouldn't have had, and Samuel says, what are you doing? And Saul finally says, well, I was afraid of the people. I was afraid of them. And throughout his life, he's worked on this fear. If I obey God, then something bad is going to happen to me. But see, he did everything he could to save his life, and he still lost it. See, this is one of the secrets of life that you've got to consider this morning. You're gonna die. You're gonna die. You can't keep your life anyway. So what Jesus says to do is to die his way. You lose your life for his sake and for the gospels. And you know what? You do it right now. Like those of you who are younger in age. That's right, I'm talking to you. Do you know what? You have more life to give. I thought I'd just be pointed and hit you over the head with the gospel hammer. But... You lay aside your own will and you come to Jesus and you surrender to him and you say, you know what? You make out of me the person that you want me to be. I got my ideas, what I'd like, but why don't you do what you want to do with me? You rule in my life. Now see, Jesus did this very thing when he was born as a human being and grew up and he surrendered himself entirely to the will of the Father. And you know the will of the Father, that he would die under the Father's wrath for sin for everybody. And he says, yeah. Like it says in Psalm 40, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is written on my heart. Now, imagine facing that wrath that no person has ever faced. None of us have even a clue what it is like to be under the wrath of God. And yet Jesus says, yes. I will do this. Because he knew that when he did the will of the Father, the Father would raise him from the dead. It's not the end. It's not 
Yes, I will die a failure, spit upon, bleeding, beaten, crucified, and that's it, the end. But that the Father would raise him to power, glory, eternal life, the name above all names, all authority in heaven and earth. And see, this is the way he saw it. In John 12, verse 24, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. So, again, we come back to this point, obeying Jesus. Every time you come to it, it looks like you're going to die. We're going to die. It's time to witness for Jesus. We're going to die. It's time to do swingy outreach. We're going to die. Not so funny then, but it is funny now, isn't it? But you know, Jesus looked at that and said, here's my big chance. To fall into the earth and die. And to face it head on. And to not be afraid of death. But instead say, okay, Father, you're not out of options. You're the one who calls into being things that don't exist and you raise the dead. You can do anything here. And so I'm not afraid to die. I'll die and you do what you want to do here. So you know, we can seek our Heavenly Father for power and for knowledge and say, you do whatever you want to in me. And then you, when you do that, you're going to be that seed that falls into the earth and dies and bears much fruit. And you won't be afraid. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you do Tell us the truth. And you don't deceive us or hide it or sugarcoat it or try to deceive us in any way. Because you are the truth. And we thank you that you have the power and the knowledge to deliver us from the fear of death. And I want to pray for those this morning who are afraid to obey you because they're scared to die. And I pray that you would do a supernatural work And give those people the ability to commit themselves to Jesus. 
and say, not my will, but yours be done. Whatever that situation is, that you shrink back from in fear and try to save your life. Instead, Lord Jesus, please enable each one of us to surrender to you, submit to your will. And if we have to, die. And we pray that you would bear much fruit in our lives. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.